So we uh, are continuing our series this morning in the book of Daniel. We have talked about Daniel from his teenage years and how he was in exile uh, from the nation of Israel, was taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and uh, Daniel was just a teenager at that point in time, and we talked about how he's got his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about their story a little bit at the beginning, and then we kind of see this progression through Daniel's life, and and like we, we saw all the way up to the fact that, that Daniel, at this point in time, in, in chapter 5, where we were last week, you know, he's getting on up there in age, you know what I mean? Like, you know, nothing wrong with that, you know, it's okay to kind of get a little bit older, it's all right, we see that in Daniel's life. As we see in chapter 6, man, the dude's approaching like 90 years old now. So he is still faithful, he's still doing his Daniel thing, he's still committed to God and doing his thing, even well up into like 90 years old here we see this particular story unfold. So what did we see last time? We saw the Babylonian Empire kind of crumble, right? So we saw the handwriting on the wall, many, uh, many take a parson, you remember that? It's like, like you've been counted, you're, you've been measured, and like you didn't measure up, and, and we saw how the Babylonian Empire fell that very night when... When this was written on the wall, and we, we saw all that, and we saw the, the Medo-Persian Empire come in, and, and now they've kind of taken over things, and uh, we actually see in chapter 6 here, this is the story that everybody's familiar with, right? This is the lion's den. Everybody knows about Daniel in the lion's den? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I see some hands going up, like, yeah, I, I do. So anyway, so uh, I actually, I could not help, but I've got to say this again, I've, I told you this before, but... Uh, when I was in Haiti, the very first time I actually taught on Daniel in the lion's den, right? Well, that was a different kind of experience because I was sitting there and I was talking to a bunch of four or five-year-olds and they were all sitting there and there must have been like about 20 of them, right? And so it was amazing to me, first of all, that I could hold the attention of like 25-year-olds, okay? So I can't hold the attention of 20 like 80-year-olds here. So, But anyway, so it was, it was really cool that they were like, I mean... I don't know, maybe it's a difference in my skin color or something, I don't know, but they were fixed on me, man. They were like looking at me like, you know, and I'm talking through the interpreter guy, and I'm talking, we got these like coloring sheets I'm about to hand out, and we're going to color pictures of Daniel in the lion's den, and I'm trying to tell the story of Daniel in the lion's den, and my interpreter, he looks over at me, he goes, hey man, I say, hey, what's up? He says, I don't know what a lion is. I said, What? He said, yeah, they don't know what a lion is. I said, I don't know how to tell them what a lion is, you know. But, I mean, think about it. They don't have the, the, the National Geographic Channel in Haiti. You know, like they, 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 they have books and stuff like that, but they don't have a lot of them. And, like, they don't, they don't really have a lot of Internet access and that sort of thing. So it doesn't surprise me that some five-year-olds may not have ever seen a lion nor heard the term lion because they don't have a lot of lions in Haiti. I don't know if you know that or not, but they just don't have any. So anyway, so they don't really know what it is. So he, start, he said, well, I'm going to try to describe it to him, right? And it's like, and he starts describing. I can tell he's making this motion like it's something big, okay? So a lion's big. I got that. Like, okay, I'm following with you, man. And then he goes like this. And he goes, ah, like that. And, and like the kids, I mean, like there was one kid in particular. When, that, when the, the interpreter went like, ah, like that, with his claws out and his fangs out, you know? Like this kid, man, his eyes got as big as saucers. And he was just like, ah. Like that, you know what I mean? Because he was so scared. Like he got the picture of what he was talking about. But it was crazy to me that these kids had never heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. They didn't even know what a lion was. 
Most of us, if you've ever been around church, if you've ever been in a Sunday school class at some point in your past, if you've ever like just talked to a Christian at some point in time, you've heard about Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's a very famous story. Well, I want you guys to understand the context. And the context is this, is that the Babylonian Empire has fallen, uh, that, that they've actually got a new ruler in there. We're going to read, it's going to say Darius in here, but I want you to understand the scholars kind of go back and forth about this whole thing, and I'm not going to go into it a whole lot. But this, this is most likely King Cyrus is who we're talking about. Darius is more actually like a title and not so much like a name. So more than likely the guy we're talking about is Cyrus, who Cyrus actually, when he came into power, said, you know what, Israelites, y'all can go back to your homeland if you want to. It's no big deal. You can do that. We see this has happened in Daniel chapter 6. This has happened after Cyrus has made the decree that the Israelites can go back to their homeland if they want to, right? And we see Daniel, who's rocking on in old age, and maybe he don't want to take the long walk back to Israel. I don't know what the deal is, but he's still there in, in the province of Babylon. He's still doing his, his Jesus thing. like He's still loving God. He's still fixed on God, and he's still doing his thing well up into his late 80s. And that's kind of where we see him right now. And you know what's interesting? This is what's really cool about it. Daniel, like, he's, he's still, we're, we're about to find out in just a minute. Even though the kingdoms have changed out, he's still in control. He's still a ruler in, in the nation. Even though the Babylonians are gone, and now you got the Medo-Persian Empire coming in, and, and, and like, he's still way up there in authority. That's pretty cool to me. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But I think it's pretty cool that even though the kingdoms have changed out, Daniel is still in a place of authority even in the new kingdom. And I think that's a very important point, and we should notice that here in the, the, the story of Daniel chapter 6 today. So, all right, so here we, we're going to start in cha chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose... Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So Daniel's still rocking on doing his Daniel thing, and he's still in charge, even though this new kingdom has come in place, right? So what does that say to you? To me, it says this. It says, man, nations are going to rise and fall. The, the kingdoms are going to come and go. But the people of God are going to prevail. The people of God are going to be consistent through that. And they're going to continue on. Even though nations may rise and fall. That doesn't really matter. You be faithful to God and you're going to continue on. That's the picture that we see here in Daniel. Is that it doesn't matter the fact that a new, new ruler's come into town. No, he's, just, he's still being faithful. And he's still, he's still just as knowledgeable as he was before. Because he's, he's still the same Daniel that he was. But a new king has come into place. He's like, dang, man. This Daniel guy, he keeps doing good stuff. We need to keep him in charge, you know? And that shows not only the faithfulness of Daniel, but the faithfulness of God, that even though the kingdoms have changed out, Daniel's still a place in charge. So then the other administrators and high officers began searching for uh, some fault in the way Daniel was governing affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Of course, Daniel is a godly man, and they can't find any fault in him. Okay, does this sound like anybody you know? It could, is this possibly like Jesus, a foretelling of maybe Jesus at some point in the future? Like a foreshadowing, if you will, of a guy that they could find no fault in? Do you see that picture here? A guy who's godly and, and of God, and, and now they're trying to point out some things that are wrong with him, and they can't find anything. They're trying to criticize him or condemn him, they can't find anything. 
He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. That's what people of God are supposed to be like, by the way. In case you're wondering, what am I supposed to be like if I'm a Christian? Maybe we should read that again. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Maybe one more time. Maybe one more time. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Does that describe you as a person of God? When people look at you and say, that is a faithful person. That, that is somebody that is trustworthy. That is somebody that is really, really responsible. Is that their definition of how people look at you? Should that be how people look at you? Is that the standard by which we're supposed to live? I think that it is. Now, I know that Jesus is the standard, and he's like way up here, but we're constantly supposed to be striving to obtain that standard, right? We're constantly striving to be more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who convicts us and shows us the things that we need to correct in our lives so that people will look at us and go, man, that's somebody that's, that's faithful, somebody that's responsible, somebody that's trustworthy. And if you're doing something that's in contradiction of that, you know what you need to do? Stop it. It's pretty straightforward, right? Stop it. Faithful, responsible, trustworthy. If you're not, stop it. And that's exactly what we see in Daniel here. We see a man who is faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Not just a little bit. He's always and completely. Enough about that. Okay. So they concluded our only chance for finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Oh, man. Can't believe they're going to do that, right? They're going to use Jesus against him. They're going to use their, his God against him. That's just not right. Can you imagine people that are not of God using God against people that are people of God? Can you imagine such a thing? Do you remember Jesus? What was the only thing that they could convict Jesus of? Right? What was the only... I mean, they... They couldn't find any fault in him. They couldn't think he was doing anything wrong. The only thing they could say is, you know what he's doing? He's saying he's the son of God. It was the only thing that Jesus could do that would be truth, and yet they could condemn him for at the same time. So he was, he was still completely honest in the fact that I am, if you have seen the Father, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Man, he's like, I am God. You have seen me, therefore you have seen the Father. And like, I am the Son of God. And he claims all these things. And like, they're like, man, that's blasphemy. You cannot claim to be God. That is, that is not okay for you to do that. And what did they do? They crucified him for that very reason. So what do they say about Daniel? The only thing we can do, the only way we're going to catch this dude is if we, we catch him in his religion somehow, in his faithfulness to God. Because he's completely faithful, the only way that we're going to be able to do anything with him is if we've got to show that he's faithful to somebody other than the king is what they're going to use against him. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live the king, king Darius. And we, all, we are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, governors, that the king should, be, should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, uh, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. And uh, an official of the law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. So... What does he say here? Oh, we've got an idea for you, O king. Oh, King Darius, we have got a, an idea for you. 
Nobody can pray to anybody else. Nobody can go to anybody else or anything else but to you for intervention, for, for things. They can't, you can't go to anywhere else to, for something besides going to King Darius, right? That's what they say. So this seems weird to us, right? Like, they, like making a dude a, a, a god, that's kind of weird, right? This was actually more common in ancient times than what you think. Like, like in Roman times, the Caesars, they, they, he would claim to be God. They would have to worship him as if he were a God. Or even the Pharaohs in, in ancient Egypt, right? So they would claim to be God. And you had to worship a Pharaoh like a God, right? So that, this is actually a mentality that was very common. I mean, in our day and time, we're like, can't nobody be God, man. Like, except for Jesus, like, there's no way. He's so perfect and so unique and so set apart. And then he's completely holy and righteous. And there's no way that a human being could be like that. Well, that's not exactly the way they saw things back then. They saw their gods as having faults just like humans. They saw their gods as just being more human-like, and therefore it wasn't a big deal for them to take a human and make him God. That wasn't a big deal to them. They said, all right, King Darius, we got an idea. We want to make you God for 30 days. You good with that? Now, I don't know about you, but in my own selfish, fleshly self, if somebody said, we want to make you God for 30 days, I'd be like, all right, I'm down. Where do I sign? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that sounds like a good deal to me. You know what I mean? Like, now, granted, granted, I won't be God, but they'll all think that I am. And they'll all say that I am, so that sounds like a good deal to me. You know, I mean, now, obviously, I wouldn't do such a thing. But I'm just saying, the fleshly side of me would be like, oh, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Being God for 30 days, that sounds all right, you know? That's better than just being president for a day. That's God for 30 days. That's pretty cool, you know? And, and here, the, King Darius is like, all right, yeah, yeah. But see, the law of the Medes and Persians was such that you may remember this in, uh, in, in Esther, King Xerxes, um, you know, he would sign something in the law and they couldn't go back on it. Like, you remember that? Like, there was this whole thing about killing Israelites and, and once, you, once you signed that in the law, you couldn't go back on it. But then he signed another law so they could defend themselves. You remember that whole thing with Esther and King Xerxes and all that? So here we got something else going on that's very similar to that in the law of the Medes and the Persians. King Darius, once he signed something in the law, you can't just say, no, I was just kidding, y'all. Let me erase that from the books. Once it was in there, it was in there, and you could not go against it, right? So a lot of times people would catch them in that. But the reason that they did that, just so you know, uh, there's some indication of the reason they made these laws so strict like that that they couldn't be reversed is so you would think long and hard about a law before you put it into place. You know what I mean? Like that's the idea is so that you couldn't make these whimsical laws that could take it in and out, you know, just whenever, uh, you know, that you would have to think long and hard before you reverse something. You know, this is like, hey, this is going in forever and it can't be reversed. So therefore, we better make sure it's a good law. And so here we see that them saying, hey, it's just for 30 days. You're going to be God for 30 days and nobody can go or pray or petition anybody else for something except to you. Oh, here we go. But when Daniel, there's always a but in there, right? But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just like he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. So what did Daniel do? He changed everything, right? He was like, no, this is so upsetting. I am shaken to my core. I'm going to keep to myself, and I'm going to hide the fact that I'm praying, and I'm going to... Uh, 
stay out of the way of the law and make sure that, that uh, I'm abiding by the law? No. What does Daniel do? It's the same thing he's always been doing. He didn't change anything, right? The human law may have changed, but Daniel's law didn't change because he was still under the law of God, and therefore his law never changed. Whenever the human law intersects with the, God, the, the law of God, you know which one we're supposed to follow? I know it sounds crazy. Follow the law of God. Follow the law of God. And, that, that, and Daniel, you know, you would think, like, in, in my mind, I would go like, Daniel, dude, man, couldn't you close the window? You know what I mean? Like, is that so bad that you just close the window so people can't see you in there? Like, can, can, you, can you put some film on that thing, make a tinted window, maybe some limo tint on that thing or something so that people can't see you praying in there? No, no. See, that would have been seen as compromise, and Daniel wasn't going to compromise. You know, he said, the human law may have changed. I'm not compromising. I'm not changing what I'm doing just because the law has changed. If it means my death, then so be it. If it means my death, then so be it. So many times, man, we compromise for so many reasons. We, as Christians, we'll just say, you know what, man, it's okay. Look, everybody else is going this way, and everybody else is on board with this. I'm just, I'm just a person living in this world, man. I can just continue to just kind of do what everybody else is doing, and that's okay, right? What we see is a picture of Daniel who is a, a faithful, responsible, trustworthy man. that said he doesn't compromise. He continues doing the same thing he has done in order to honor God and worship God. And it doesn't change based on anything else that's going on around him. You know what Daniel did, I believe? There's a term I want to throw at you that, that I've used before. Um, that, that some people have used this. I'm not the only person who uses this. But you pick your heel to die on. You ever heard that? You ever heard that phrase, I, I chose my hill, to, I'm going to die on this hill. You know, as if, you know, almost as a military sense, if you've taken a hill and you've got your position on the hill, that you're not going to be moved from that hill, that you're going to stay there. If they kill you and wipe you out, that's fine, but you're not going to lose your position on the hill. It's where you're standing, that's the stance that you take, and you're not being moved from it no matter what happens. Even if it means your death, you're, you're, you're just not going to be shaken from your hill. This is the hill I choose to die on. I can tell you that that is not an easy thing to do to pick and choose your battles and pick and choose your hills to die on. I'm going to give you a specific example in my own life where I, I had to pick and choose a hill to die on. Um, there was a time in my ministry where there was a young man who was coming up through the ministry and I could tell that God was using this young man, that that he had an incredible depth of knowledge when it came to understanding Scripture. He hadn't been a Christian for very long. And, and, and God was just showing him things. And this young man had a, an ability to communicate and an understanding of Scripture. And I, I could just see God's hand on this young man. The reality was that this, man had done, this young man had done some things in the past. And, and it, it, it did not honor God in the past. But this was prior to his conversion to becoming a Christian. So people were holding him you know, still hostage by those things in his past and, and, and really wanted to take him out of, of the youth group and place him in another place because they said he didn't fit in anymore because of the things he had done in his past. And they wanted to take him out of that. And I really believed in my heart. I said, if we do that, this young man's going to miss an opportunity to connect with the people that are his own age. It's going to hurt this young man and it's going to make him think that there's something wrong with him. That's going to make him think that he's beyond repair. That we're still going to hold that stuff in the past over his head. And we're not going to let him continue to move on. 
So I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I picked a hill to die on. I had some meetings about it. There was a fellow friend of mine that he's a pastor in this area too. He looked at me and said, he said, we may lose our jobs in ministry. I said, I'm okay with that. We, we may be fired if we go in opposition to the way that everybody else is going on this. I said, I'm willing to die on this hill. He said, I am too. And we stood up for that young man, and we said, you know what? We believe that God has called him into ministry. We believe that God's going to use him in a phenomenal way. And I don't believe that we should take him out of the place that he's in right now because of something he's done in his past. And I chose that hill to die on. I really did. It was not received particularly well. I did not lose my job in ministry. I believe that's evidence of the faithfulness of God, that God was leading me that direction. I was just following his direction. I didn't lose my job in ministry, but it was really tough to take that stance against some people in authority. So, fast forward, now that young man is a youth pastor. And I believe with my whole heart that that young man will one day be a pastor. And I'll tell you this, there were a lot of people that weren't crazy about me starting Simple Church, but... That young man, he was one of the people there helping to clean up and set up for the very first service of Simple Church. And I said, man, you need to leave. If they find out you're here, it's not going to go well for you. You could lose your job. He said, that's okay. That's okay. He picked a hill to die on too. And he said, this, this is the right thing, so this is what I'm going to do. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for that young man. Sometimes you got to choose a hill that you're willing to die on. It ain't easy. And sometimes you're going to have to stand up in the face of some people that are in authority. Maybe, maybe if, it, if it's the right thing to do, you may have to stand up in the face of your parents and say, this is not right. What you are doing is not okay. I know what the Word of God says, and, and I'm not going to, 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 to stand here idly by and just allow this to happen, even though you're my parents. Even though you're my boss, even though, you, make it up. I mean, like, there are going to be times when you have to stand up and say, I'm going to pick this hill to die on, even if it means I'm going to lose my job. This is what is right, and therefore I will stand on it, no matter what the consequences. And that's what we see in Daniel right now. The windows are still open. He's still praying towards Jerusalem. Well, that's where his heart is, right? So his heart's still in Jerusalem. He's praying towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he kind of, this is kind of a carryover from something David had done. And, and like he's still doing what he's always done. And he did not compromise. Verse 11 says, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his, his, his law. Did you not sign a law for the next 30 days? Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you... Your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. Like, don't you remember, king? I mean, they went that day. Right? They didn't wait. Like, like they knew that Daniel was going to pray at lunchtime. So they went up to his house and they watched and they saw him praying with his windows open like he always did. He did not change. And I guarantee you Daniel knew that they were going to be there. I guarantee you that he knew that they had talked the king into this crazy law. And he knew that what they were doing was trying to catch him. And you know what he did? He did not compromise. He did not even care that they were going to be outside his window. 
He just did what he knew was the right thing, and he continued doing that. Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. is an official law of the Medes and Persians and that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law, and he still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. King Cyrus, King Darius, as we see here, he's, he's disturbed because he loves Daniel. He cares about Daniel. He put him in charge because he trusted Daniel. I think he cares about him. Why? Because he's faithful, he's trustworthy, he's responsible. He'd been able to put him in charge of stuff. And he said, man, I can put, this, I can put my credit cards in your hands and you take care of stuff. And that's, that's good news for me. And I, I trust you. And I, when you trust somebody like that and you care about what happens to them, don't you? So he tra- stayed up and like he's trying to think, man, how can I get Daniel out of this? He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. You know, you remember, you can't change it. You remember this, king? So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the, lion, the den of lions. He said, reluctantly, I've got to do this because it's in the law and it can't be reversed. And I know the way it is. And I can't think of another way out. Now, me personally, I probably could have thought of another way. You know what I mean? Like, can't we build a cage and then throw him in there with a den of lions or something? But no, no, they, they would have called him out on that. They said, no, that is not the heart of the law. The heart of the law is that the person be consumed by the lions and you just throw them in there, right? So the king says, all right, we've got to do this thing. So he, he, he arrests him and he, he's charged with this crime, if you will. Look what the king says to him because he's got a heart for Daniel. He's got a heart for him. He says, may your God, whom you serve, so faithfully rescue you. I want you to hear that for just a second. This king doesn't really know anything about Daniel's God, but he knows something about Daniel. This is what he says. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. I know there are people in here got difficulties in their life. You got heartache, you got broken relationships, you got disease, there's cancer, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Right now on Facebook Live, there's people all over the place, got stuff going on. Listen to these words from God. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Salvation. May you be saved. May you be saved. You know that that's the word from the Lord today. May you be saved. May you be saved. You know that God made a way that you could be rescued, right? He, he, he opened a door for us to be able to come and spend eternity with Him, that we could have a relationship with Him. And He did that through His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sacrificed for all of us. It doesn't make sense, but that's the way that the penalty of sin had to be paid for. Somebody had to die. And the person God chose to die was a man that was 
faithful and responsible and trustworthy. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he died so that you might live. So the word from God today is, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. I want you to know that this was kind of like a pit, according to the, uh, you know, the original text, that this would have kind of been a pit with probably a side entrance, and they got a rock over the top of it, and you would throw them down into the lion's den is how this would work. Now, some people would say, well, I know how this story goes. We'll, we'll go ahead and... We'll go ahead and continue on for just a second. The king sealed the stone with his royal seal and the seals of his nobles that no one could rescue Daniel. So a lot of people say, well, I know what happened here. Daniel, he, he just found a little corner and he hid in the corner, right? Like he just scurried down a little rope or something, got down there real quiet-like and tiptoed over to the corner, you know, and just kind of hid out in the corner and hoped that the lions wouldn't hear him or wouldn't wake up. You got to understand that these lions, and there were many of them, by the way, which we'll see here in just a second, they were starved. So they would starve these lions so that they would be bloodthirsty by the time that they were set out. I mean, because they were used to torture people, is basically what they were used for. So they would starve them to make them extra hungry. So anytime food was anywhere near, they were going to attack it and eat it. And we're going to see that in just a second that they do that, as a matter of fact. But Daniel is in there with the den of lions, and, and, and like, we know what happens. We know what happens. The king, then it flashes back to the king's palace. Like, man, what is going on in the den of the lions? I want to know that. But it goes back to the palace, and we see about the king. I don't care about the king, man. Tell me what's going on with Daniel. This is soap opera when they're like right at the, the peak, and then they take you, they flash back from the hospital back to somebody's house, and you're like, what is going on, man? I want to know what's going on at the hospital, man. They're, they're shocking the dude, and he's coming back to life, you know. And, and then they just pan over to the house where these people are talking, and I don't care. Take me back to the hospital. I've never watched a soap opera, by the way. <laughs> it says, um, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. But he didn't eat anything. He refused... His usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all that night. Like, I mean, the king is upset. Like, whatever they tried to bring in front of him, he's like, no, 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 no. I, mm, I want that. I'm just upset. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Was God able to rescue you? People that are unbelieving, they don't know your God, they look at you and say, is God able to rescue you? Is God able to redeem you? Is God able to save you? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Oh, if that's not the picture of God's grace, I don't know what is. I have been found innocent in his sight. You know that we're guilty. We're so guilty. You know that you're guilty. When you come to God with your guilt and your anguish and all the things that are just like, oh, you know your sin, right? Like you, you, you lay down at night, you know the things that you've done wrong and the things that break the heart of God. You know those things. But when he sent his son in your place that you might be rescued you, 
you might be rescued, you know that you are found innocent. That all of the sin, all of the, the things that are God-hating are taken away so that you might be found innocent. That you might be seen as the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That you might be the partakers of the righteousness of God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. He says, my God sent His angel to shut the lion's mouths. You know, I, I know that people have these pictures of what angels are like. And they're like all angelic and they're little bee babies maybe with a big round butt or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're all flapping their wings or you know what I mean? Like that is not the picture of angels that we see in the Bible. I mean like, like the, the, the pictures of angels we see in the Bible, man, they are fierce characters. They've killed thousands of men all in one swipe, man. Like they, they are scary dudes, you know. And, and, and that's what we see here. We, we see an angel. He rolls up in the scene. He's all buff. He's all ripped up. And he just... Like, hey, y'all, lions, y'all good, chill, you know. And they just, and Daniel, he's sitting there behind the, behind the angel going, yeah, y'all be quiet. Yeah, get you some of that, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'd be doing. I, I kind of put myself in that place, you know what I mean? I can't help it. I was, what would I be doing? I'd be behind the angel going, nah, nah, boo-boo, you know. Mm, you know, but anyway, so, I don't know why I'm your pastor. But anyway, so... So anyway, so, so the angel has shut the, the lion's mouth, and Daniel's calling out, man, I have been rescued, and my God has shut the lion's mouth. He sent an angel to do that. He says, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And the king knew that. The king knew that he had not been wronged and didn't deserve this. The king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted from the, from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. He had... For he had trusted in God, in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leaped upon them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Kind of grotesque, right? But you know what this... I think that the reason this is in here is to show you that these, these lions weren't already full when Daniel showed up. They, weren't, they didn't already have their bellies full. They, they weren't already like asleep or on some sort of drugs or something like they were they were just hungry bloodthirsty lions ready to go and these men that accused Daniel falsely they got thrown in there along with their families and before they even hit the floor there were so many lions so many bloodthirsty lions that they devoured them before they even hit the floor so if you're trying to tell me that there was just a few lions and they were asleep over in the corner I don't believe that to be the case because these other folks, as soon as they were dropped in, man, they were devoured before they hit the floor. It's a very grotesque scene, I'll admit that. But I'm telling you, I think that it shows us that these lions were bloodthirsty. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout the, my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. No matter what kingdoms come in or go out, his rule is the one that's going to reign over everything. Oh, what reassurance there is in that. It doesn't matter if I'm here or in China or Japan or, or Afghanistan. Man, his kingdom is the, is the one that rules forever. He rescues and saves his people. 
He's a rescuing and saving God. That's, that's who he is. And this king says he rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in heavens, in the heavens and on earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. I told you before that you have to pick your hill to die on, right? I said that you have to choose that there are certain places that you're going to go and you say, enough is enough. This is where I'm going to stand. And it doesn't matter what happens. What ultimately matters is what's right. This is what I want to tell you today. There was a man, and his name was Jesus. And he picked his hill to die on too. The place called, called Golgotha. And he was nailed to a cross. And he was stripped of his clothes so they would humiliate him. He was bleeding profusely all over his body from his back, his face. Every, he was just so bloody. He was barely recognizable as a man. Because they had scourged him before they hung him on the cross. But he chose that hill to die on. Because it was the right thing. He knew that it was coming. He knew what he would have to endure. And he knew how difficult it would be. As a matter of fact, he even prayed before, the night before it happened. God, if there's any way that you can take this cup of suffering from me, from me say, if there's any way that this can be accomplished some other way, Father, I pray that you do that. And he was so overwhelmed by this feeling of what was going to happen that just blood poured from his head, just from the, the depth of his prayer. But ultimately, you know what he said? He said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. See, he knew the will of the Father. He wanted to be faithful to the Father. No matter what it was going to cost him, no matter how gruesome and bloody and nasty it was going to be, he wanted to be faithful to the Father, just like we see in Daniel. No matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to this earthly body, what matters most is my Father's will. Is that your approach towards life? Whatever happens, the thing that matters most is, is my Father's will. Not my will for me. My Father's will. I'm not going to be shaken and, and turned upside down by all the things that are going on around me. I'm just going to remain faithful. I'm just going to do the things that God's called me to do. If that's not the picture of your life, if you messed up, if you, if you messed up royally, you know what? That's exactly why he went to that hill for you. That's precisely why he chose that hill to die on. It's because he knew that we would mess up. But here's the thing. No matter how many times you've messed up, the faithfulness of God that we see over and over again in the book of Daniel, the trustworthiness that we see over and over and over again in the book of Daniel, not just of Daniel, but of his God that he served. That's the same faithfulness that he has. We sang about his faithfulness right before I stepped up here. And we talked about how it just goes on and on. And, and sometimes we forget, but, but your, your, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. No matter how many times you've messed up, He's still a saving and rescuing God. He hasn't changed. He's still the same God today as He was in Daniel. He's still a saving and rescuing God, just like King Cyrus said in the book of Daniel. Maybe you've never trusted that. Maybe your heart's heavy 
because you know the things you've done to break the heart of God and you're overwhelmed with guilt and just sorrow over those things. You're invited to bring those things to Him. He's still a saving and rescuing God. Maybe you're a Christian and, and you've done that. You've trusted in Him for your salvation. But you know what? You messed up. And you just want to come and say, God, I'm sorry. I need you to rescue me all over again. I need to trust in your Holy Spirit who has the power to rescue me from any situation. That you always provide a way out. That we will not be tempted beyond what we can stand. That you will always provide a way out. And, and maybe God's providing you a way out today by you just coming and saying, God, I turn it over to you. You don't have to do that here at these steps. There's nothing special or magical about these steps. You can do that at your seat. I'll tell you what. There's something magical or something special about falling on your face before God and worshiping like Him like the King that He is, giving Him the proper honor, respect, and, and glory that He is worthy of. Say, God, I know who You are and I know what You're capable of. I know that You're greater than any king that's ever existed and I just pray that You would rescue me. Maybe You need to be rescued today. I pray that You fall on Your face before Him and do that. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for the testimony of Daniel. Lord, I thank you for being so faithful. God, we see your faithfulness time and time again in this word, and we see it again here in the book of Daniel. Now the kingdoms rise and fall, and things happen all around us. Lord, but you remain faithful. So God, I just pray that though we may have forgotten, I pray that you reminded us today God, that you are a rescuing and saving God. That you did that through your son, Jesus Christ, who chose a hill to die on for me and for every person, for all of history. God, you, you picked a hill to die on. It's overwhelming to me. It's beyond my comprehension. But God, I know that you're a loving father. And I know that your way is beyond what I can understand. All I can do is worship you and praise you. Worship you for your faithfulness, for being a saving and rescuing God. God, I pray that you might save somebody today, that you might rescue them from the person that they are, give them a new heart and a new life. And for the person that has given their life to you, Lord, maybe they've fallen away or maybe they haven't been doing what they need to. God, I pray that you would rescue them, show them that you're still here, and you still love them and you haven't gone anywhere and you're still the God of this Bible and you're still the God of our lives. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak and people would be rescued. In the name of Christ, our King. Amen. Everyone stand.